evangelists, husbands, fathers, mothers, wives, Lord, supporters, elders, deacons. God, we thank you that you are raising up a faithful generation and you are using us to train them. So, Lord, may we realize the weight of our responsibility and take it seriously. Lord, help us to love them. Pray that they would get love from us. Lord, that they would know they are loved, that they would be secure in their identity, and that they would be free to obey you, to love you, and to live in your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Does anyone know what happens in three weeks? Passover, yes. Hey, we have a lot of resources to help you celebrate the feasts of Passover. That's coming up. Unleavened bread, Passover, and first fruits are all coming up. Our church celebrates Passover. So if you go onto our website and look at the feasts, you will find resources from books to movies, books for adults, books for children, activities, recipes. Uh, you'll find uh, uh, seders uh, that you can do. Uh, and we have get-togethers in the homes. So if you want to celebrate Passover and you are uh, wanting to invite other people, uh, feel free to do that. Uh, we're going to do it at our home, and we're going to invite uh, people. But if you want to do Passover in your home and you want instruction, you can come and talk to uh, any of the pastors or the elders uh, or the deacons. And uh, you can also go onto the website and get information. We got the uh, feast books. There are some in. We got five or six of the uh, spring and fall feasts for adults and then also uh, for the children as well. And we don't make any profit off of them. All of it goes towards missions. So if, uh, if that's something that you want, the children's stories are beautifully illustrated by an artist from in here, uh, Eduardo Bernal. Uh, and so anyways, these come uh, from our body and they are useful tools in helping teach these things to your children or for you to learn as well if you're not familiar with them. So on the 20th, which is a Saturday, we're going to be celebrating in our houses. And uh, if you want to get together uh, with people, uh, look for friends who are going to be celebrating the feast. And uh, come and join them or celebrate it in your own home. And if you need instructions, go on the website. Amen. Amen. Hey, also, we want to be faithful with the uh, property that we've been entrusted with. Uh, while there is an overemphasis on the spiritual and a de-emphasis on the physical, a lot when it concerns church. Church is not a building. We also are entrusted with this building, right? So this means that we don't want to put junk around the church. And if we see junk around the church, we want to be responsible to pick it up ourselves, right? So if you see things that are like, oh, they need to fix that, you may have found a little project that you could get yourself involved in, right? So we, we need everyone's help. Uh, the cars that are parked here, they're so beautiful, and cars are a wonderful gift. Don't park cars here, like through the week. Is that fair? Don't park cars in the parking lot. If you need to, park them in the little strip that we have right by the dumpster in the office building at 651. It's right on the other side of the grassy knoll. But that's like a if you have to, okay? But definitely park your car at your house and not here. Amen. 
We love you guys. Um, also, there have been a lot of moves. Thank you for everyone who has come out and helped with the moves and been so faithful to just be the hands and feet of Christ. Thank you, guys. And uh, it's, it's beautiful to see the body at work helping each other and lifting each other's burdens. Once again, if you have a burden that you cannot meet and you need help, come and see us. That's what the body's supposed to do. Come and talk to us. We might not take a wad of cash and throw it at your face and then, and then say, be blessed. We might actually sit down with you and help you work through issues or problems that led to this, right? And then if the right answer is to help financially, then we also do that. But this body is one that takes very seriously making sure that no one has needs among us, okay? So if you have needs, come and talk to us, amen? Amen. We are continuing our series in Nehemiah this week, so let's go to Nehemiah 8. What we are going to see in Nehemiah, we're going to break it up into sections today. There are several things going on. We're going to talk about what happened in Israel that led up to this being such a powerful moment in this chapter. We're going to talk about how this is a foreshadowing of the return of the Lord and the salvation of Israel. And we're also going to talk about what this means for us today. So we're going to talk about Israel. We're going to talk about the Lord. And we're going to talk about what these things mean for us today. There's going to be a lot of things going on. But I think that that will help give us a more well-rounded picture of what the scripture is actually saying by seeing the different messages that are being communicated through the scriptures. So we're going to be in Ezra 8. Uh, but what I wanted you to see in going to Ezra is you see in that very first when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man before the water gate. That was in verse 1. What's going to happen is they're going to tell Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses and to read it to them. How many of you guys remember last year during the fall when we had people get up here for 14 hours and read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and we live streamed the whole thing? I tried to read twice and I almost passed out both times because I realized that I can speak, praise the Lord, but reading out loud is something that I don't breathe right, and so I start to pass out. Because I try and take a real deep breath and then read very passionately several sentences. And then I take another deep breath and I do that a few times and I feel lightheaded. And so I was up here about to pass out several times. So I had to turn it over to other people when I tried. Boasting in my weakness. So, but what I want to do is since they were reading the law, it's important for us to get the context of what they were hearing. So that we can understand what they might have been thinking. Because if, if you sat through and watched as we were reading the scriptures and watched the whole time, there would be different scriptures that jumped out at you. They were to me. There were scriptures that they read that made me weep. All they were doing was just reading the scriptures and my heart was being pierced as they read through the scripture up here. I was watching several different people as they were reading through and I just remember thinking like that's going on in my life right now. I am seeing the faithfulness of God in my life, and that scripture is bringing it to mind right now. They were no different than us. As the book of the law was being read, their hearts were being pierced by the things that they were seeing around them. So we're about to read a story about some people who were listening to the book of the law and then responding. 
Well, you remember our series on Nehemiah up until this point. What makes that so powerful is that Nehemiah did the same thing. Y'all remember in the first few chapters we were talking, Nehemiah got his direction from where? From the scriptures. Remember, he saw the walls broken down and the people taken into captivity, which led him to know, hey, what I need to do is to repent and cry out to the Lord. And that's what he does. And then he goes back and he rebuilds the city according to the plans of the Lord. He gets all of his instruction over and over again from the Lord. When it concerns intermarriage, when it concerns righteousness or justice or the way that the people are supposed to interact with one another, he gets his instruction from the word. So as we're reading through this chapter, it's important for us to recall that over and over again. These people's hearts are being moved probably by what they just read. These people are getting instruction probably from what they just heard. Does that make sense? So I want to start us off in Deuteronomy 32 because this is something that they would have heard while they were reading the scriptures. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 46. So Moses says this to all of Israel, and I want us to hear these words. He says, take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. This is what the people all gathered around. We're going to read about that in just a second. They're hearing these words. These aren't just idle words for you. They are your life. So as we're reading through this today, remember these people were imitating the faith of their leaders who read through the word of God and then let that shape everything that they did. So let's go back to Nehemiah 8. It says, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They, they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. What's interesting about this is back in Ezra 3, it says that the people gathered together to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, and they all gathered as one man. Well, this is 92 years later. The rebuilding of the city took 92 years because if you look at that sentence right above where chapter 8, that break, mine says Ezra reads the law, whatever yours says. But it says, and the rest of the Israel, they settled in their own towns. From the point where Cyrus decreed, Cyrus king of Persia decreed, go back and build your city. To the point where they were settled in their towns, took 92 years. Has anyone in here ever been a part of a project that took 92 years? The Morrisons are, are building a home right now that we're very excited about. He said it better not be prophetic. They're building a beautiful home. And I can tell you this right now. There's going to be amazing times of ministry that happen. Our church will be greatly blessed from the things that go on inside that home. And we're excited for that to be finished. But I can tell you this right now. I, I'm waiting in such eager anticipation that it has felt like 92 years. I can't imagine how they're feeling. Right? It seems like it's taken a long time, but we're talking months. 92 years 
for your city to be rebuilt so that you can settle in your own towns. That's a long time. But they were one at the beginning in Ezra 3. They gathered together as one man. That word is ihad. We've talked about it before. A plural oneness. When many are one. They were one 92 years ago. And here they are 92 years later. One. That's a big accomplishment, isn't it? Faithfulness is not something that we put much value on anymore. That's a problem. In fact, a lot of times we approach our relationship with the Lord as, okay, I haven't been faithful. Now what? Like, what do I need to do to feel good? Or is that, be faithful. Okay, yeah, I can't do that. What, like, what else can I do to feel good? I, I can't be faithful. What does faithfulness mean? I want to tell you this. Faithfulness is remaining intimate or close with the Lord and persevering over a long period of time. That's faithfulness. It's us remaining not just obedient to where we're, we're simply trying to earn something, but remaining in intimacy with the Lord and staying faithful and obedient while we're remaining intimate with the Lord. That's faithfulness, and that's not something that our culture values. That's not something that American Christianity values either. We don't value faithfulness. And when what we're reading about today is a people who were faithful. 92 years, they were one. 92 years later, they are one. They started the project. They finished the project. That is a picture of faithfulness. Today we are reading about God's faithfulness, the people Israel's faithfulness, and a challenge to us to be faithful. God is faithful. Are you faithful? God is faithful. Amen. Are you faithful? Today in the songs that we were singing, there were several points where we were singing about God's faithfulness, but then we also sang about us being faithful. Whenever Matt came up, when that song was put on his heart, and he was singing, the Lord is my portion, I put my hope in him. The Lord is my portion, I put my trust in him. That is a response to the faithfulness of God. Faithful, you're always faithful. And then in response to that, I put my hope in you. I put my trust in you. That's me being faithful. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. That word understand is meben. And the Hebrew means to understand or to discern. But then I've been learning to use new tools. You guys ever heard of the Septuagint? I just now found out how that works. Okay. So the Greek word there means to put the pieces together. So the Greek word that that's translated into means to put the pieces together, to understand. And so you have people who are discerning, sitting there and listening to the word of God. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. I want to tell you, one of the ways that you can demonstrate faithfulness back to God is to be attentive to his word. Have you prayed for discernment when reading his word? 
Do you ask him to grant you discernment, to be able to put the pieces together as you're reading his word? Are you asking for illumination? This is one of the ways that we demonstrate faithfulness back to God. So one of the ways that we respond to the Lord's faithfulness is to be fixed on his word in the way that these people were. It's good for us to learn to pay attention to the word of God, isn't it? How long is your attention span today to the word of God? Does it scare you when I start asking you about your attention span? Don't be scared. Do not fear. Bring Deuteronomy 29 up on the screen, if you would. This is also a part of what they were seeing. You are standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God. A covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath. This is what the people were hearing there that were standing around Ezra. To confirm you this day as his people that he may be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am making this covenant with its oath, not only with you, and listen to this, who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God, but also with those who are not here today. What was powerful about this verse as they were listening to it was they were the fulfillment of this. They were a part of the fulfillment of this verse. They were standing and listening to, to Ezra read out that the Lord had made a covenant with the people that were there that day and also people who were not there, which was them which is also us. It's powerful for us to read through these things because the blessings are ours if we choose to come under the God of Israel as well as the sufferings and the persecutions and the hardships and the trials. Not only do we get to be included in the blessings that were originally given to Israel when we submit and come under the God of Israel, we also get to share in their sufferings and hardships. Amen? Look at verse 4 in Nehemiah 8. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. <laughs> you don't have to clap anymore. Ezra opened the book. And all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. They bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Okay, so let's get a picture since we can do that in here. We can give ourselves a picture of what this looks like. If I am praising the Lord and I am standing and praising the great God, Stand up with your hands up in the air and say, amen, amen. Y'all all do it together. Ready? Go. Okay, that's powerful. Sit back down. The people all with one mind stood up and said, amen, amen. As Ezra, whose name means God helps, all the people stood up in agreement and said, amen. So be it unto God. Let it be what he was saying. What was happening is, is there was unity among the people and unity in humility before his word. Did you see that they built a platform so that Ezra could be seen by everyone? Did you catch that? Now, 
Nehemiah 8 can also be used to justify a lot of the ways that church is done nowadays, right? We're going to get to a few of those verses. But you see, if I was standing on the ground like this, some people in the back might not be able to see my very important hand motions. So I stand on an elevated platform, not just so that you can see me, but to show that the word of God is being elevated. Right? If you go to a synagogue, you'll see that uh, the people will teach from the lowest spot to show that the person teaching is the most humble person in the room. But you can see that today we do it a little differently, right? Maybe a problem in that. We can address it later. Tell you what, if we want to build stadium seating in the room, we will gladly preach from the center lowest spot. Be happy to do that. For now, this is a good practical way. But Ezra is lifted up on this wooden platform that was especially built for this occasion. What we see in that is that the word of God was being elevated. The word of God was being elevated and all the people's attention was directly on the word of God. The way that we can respond to the Lord's faithfulness is by elevating the word of God and by paying our full attention to it. Do you let the word of God shape and form how you live your life? It's time for us to grow up past the childish ways of making God how we want him to be. I was talking with uh, someone this past week and uh, not living for the Lord. And I said, aren't you concerned about your relationship with the Lord? And he said, me and the Lord are good. And I said, how do you know that? How do you know that me, that you and the Lord are good? In the next breath, he said, well, I put my kids above God because he was talking about why they can't be a part of the body. Kids don't like the service. In one breath, he's saying me and God are good. In the next breath, he's saying I put my kids above God. Now, that was a moment of honesty, whether it slipped out intentionally or unintentionally. But the point is, that's the way that a lot of people live today. It's the thought that me and God are good. Is that your thought? That you and God are good. I want to encourage you that when you read the scriptures, that's not the way that it works. It's not that you and God are good. What Jesus has done for us has reconciled us to the Father, for sure, if we remain in him. That's how we are good with the Father, is when we remain in him. We have to let the word of God be elevated in our lives and we have to pay our full attention to it and let it dictate to us how we are to live. It gives us our instruction, amen? When we see that the people are listening and they're attentive and all the people could see him, I wanna tell you that this is a picture of when the Lord returns. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 24. We see that Jesus, when he returns, everyone will see him. Everyone will be able to see the word of God taken on flesh who once was dead and now is alive, who is coming back to rule and reign with his people. Every eye will see him. He will be lifted up and elevated so that everyone sees. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In the same way, I wasn't going to have us all bow down, right? But every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord when he returns. 
we either acknowledge him as Lord now and worship him now, or we will acknowledge him as Lord when he returns. One way or another, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The people were choosing to do this now. That was the way they were demonstrating faithfulness in the moment. They were worshiping the Lord and acknowledging him above all other gods. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maseah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. You guys have heard us talk about before the way that the word law is interpreted. The word law has negative connotations for a lot of us, right? You're really excited for the law when someone's trying to rob your house and you call the cops and they come and stop them, right? You're not so excited for the law when their lights are flashing behind you, right? When we think of law, it can have negative connotations. But the word Torah for them had no negative connotations. It was only instruction. It was the way to life. And so when we read law, especially in the context that many of us have heard it most of our lives, where law is bad, law is sin, grace is good. I want to tell you, that was not the way that they saw the Torah. The Torah was instructions for life. And what was beautiful is that what was happening this day is that they were being told what things meant. It says that they were being instructed so that they could understand what was being read. Something was happening. Things were beginning to click today. And it would cause this day to be different than all other days. So we respond to the faithfulness of God through elevating his word by paying our full attention to it. Uh, put up Exodus 34, 6 and 7. We can turn there. This also what they would have heard being read that the Lord said about himself in verse six, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. God is faithful to bless those who love him and faithful to punish those who are wicked. He's faithful in both ways. When we sing about the faithfulness of God, oftentimes we're thinking it means faithfulness to give me the house that I've been wanting. Faithfulness to the promises that he gave in his word. That's the faithfulness of God. And there are promises and blessings for obedience, but there are also curses that come from disobedience. Now, Jesus took the curse on himself for those who would receive his sacrifice. But for those who reject him, the curse still stands. God is faithful to bless for the obedience of his son and those who are found in him and those who follow his way. But he is also faithful to punish those who remain in their wickedness and rebellion and stiff arm his gift of love that is available for all. Amen. He is faithful to bless and he is faithful to punish. It's up to us to choose 
whether we will obey or whether we will persist in going our own way. If we persist in going our own way, there should be a fearful expectation of judgment. Do you hear that? If we persist in going our own way, there should be a fearful expectation of judgment. You can surround yourself with people who tell you, hey, man, uh, don't listen to all those churchy people who keep thumping their Bibles. God's good with that. He doesn't care about that anymore. That's Old Testament stuff. You can surround yourself with people who will tell you that. But there will be a rude awakening when we stand before a holy God who says, no, 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 I never changed. My word remained the same. I never changed. Don't surround yourself with corrupt people who will tell you what your itching ears want to hear. Know that the word of God never changes and that he is faithful to bless and faithful to punish. Let's go back to Nehemiah. It says in verse 9, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. That word sacred is kadosh. It's fun to say. Let's try it together. Kadosh. Not skadoosh. Kadosh. It means holy. So I want you to count the number of times that we see it over the next couple of verses. So let's start back again. This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Holy, holy, holy. Something is happening as the people are seeing the word of God elevated as every eye can see, as the people are finally able to understand, as the teachers are doing their job and teaching the word in a way that the people can understand it, as they are finally living according to the instruction of God, something is beginning to happen. Holy, holy, holy. It's unfolding right before them. This is what happens as the people of God consecrate themselves to him by obeying and being faithful to his word and to his instructions. Holy, holy, holy. We see the people being set apart, the day being set apart, the land having been set apart. Something is happening. Heaven is coming to earth. This is what we're watching unfold. There are a few other things that we see here. So Elder Mark has been bringing up this phrase for the past several weeks. The joy of the Lord is your strength. As I sat down to look through what the joy of the Lord is your strength, I was like, what does that mean? Because I get it up here. Who is that that has the song? Oh, the uh, Ren Collective. Oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so we sing it, and I, I've grown up with other songs too. The joy of the Lord is my strength, right? Anybody, anybody heard that? Did any of y'all grow up with like Christian? Okay, Austin's got me. Good. Tony, you got me. All right, good. Chelsea, all right. So look, the joy of the Lord is your strength. What does that mean? 
What does it mean for the joy of the Lord? How many of you guys, when you think about that, you think the joy of the Lord comes on me and is my strength? I didn't feel like doing what I was supposed to, but the joy came on me, and now I feel like doing what I'm supposed to. Does, it, does that describe how anybody sees the joy of the Lord is your strength? Or y'all know I'm setting you up? They're like, no, I don't think that at all. The joy of the Lord is your strength. First of all, whose joy is it? The Lord's. Well, that's interesting. So the Lord has joy. And then his joy somehow becomes mine and then strengthens me. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, we talked in the beginning. Our faithfulness means intimacy with the Lord and persevering in that. Okay? I want to tell you this. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. What are the other ones? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, if I ask you this, peace. Jesus says in John 14, my peace I give to you. Whose peace is it? His peace that he gives. Whose love do we love with? John 15. We love with the love that he loved us with. So it's his love. It's his peace. It's his joy. These are all fruits of the spirit. Has anybody ever grown fruit before in this room? When you put the seed in the ground, do you get fruit right away? What I see as I was reading through this, the joy of the Lord is your strength, and we're going to go to a few different verses here, is that the joy is something that's cultivated. The joy is something that's tended to, taken care of. And over time, what happens with fruit trees? They begin to be self-sustaining, and they reproduce in season, right? And so what's beautiful about joy here is it means calm delight. Calm delight. When I look at, when I think about our church, many people think about our church like this, right? Because they jump up. I was talking to someone, he was like, he was like, man, I was so excited to come to your church. I was watching all those people jump up and down. I don't think I'm ready for that yet, but I know that I felt the energy in the room. It was great. We've been that way for a while, haven't we? It's been almost six years now, and we've continued to jump and dance and sing, but we've watched maturity develop in this body. We've not lost the joy. In fact, it's been cultivated. In fact, it says of Jesus that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There was cultivation of that joy, right? The disciples rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. Suffering went through. Now, can suffering by itself produce joy? No. But when you have a close connection, intimacy with the Father, and suffering comes and you remain close to him, he remains your tower of refuge. He remains your strength and you remain faithful. On the other end is an inexpressible joy. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you endured through difficulty for the sake of the Lord and then come out on the other end and felt an inexpressible joy? Is that anyone in the room this morning? Something happens... When you start and it's like, the Lord is my strength, I'm going to trust in the Lord through this trial. And then you go through it and you never give up on trusting in him. And then you make it to the other side of the trial. And you look back and you say, he was faithful and so was I. And joy springs up. Joy comes from that. It is us fighting to be faithful to the Lord. 
We're fighting against our flesh and to crucify our flesh daily to remain faithful in obedience and intimacy with the Lord. That is our expression back to him of faithfulness. Because where do we get faithfulness from? It is also a fruit. We get faithfulness from him. When we are faithful and faithfulness springs back up, the two are one, right? We see a unity happening because we are displaying the character of our maker and we shine for the whole world to see. Why? Because he shines. Psalm 37, four says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Isaiah 58 gives us a list of all the ways that we are supposed to do righteousness. That's a, that'd be a good phrase for us to get into our heads. Do righteousness, right? Because we think be righteous, do righteousness, okay? But it talks about all the ways that we demonstrate righteousness, the character of God and taking care of the widow and the oppressed and the orphans and not neglecting the Sabbath and adhering to his word. And then at the end in verse 14, it says, then you will find your joy in the Lord. If you want joy, be faithful. Bring up that verse where Paul references Isaiah 59, 20 and 27, 9. On this day, what happens? The people were mourning. Did you see that? In verse 9, the people began to weep and mourn. They were weeping as they listened to the words of the law. But then what were they told after their weeping? What did he say to them? Don't weep. Go and enjoy. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We were singing about that. The worship team, as they were preparing these songs, had no idea what we were going to talk about this morning. Though the sorrow may last for the night, your joy comes in the morning. Sorrow turns into joy. Now, I think it's important that we recognize that actually happened this morning. There was a weeping and a sorrow and a mourning over sin that happened here at the altar. But then we went from that place, from weeping and mourning over our sin, and we said, let's turn this into joy. And we went from that place knowing that the Lord had received our confession, that he had forgiven us, and now we could worship in joy and in strength, knowing that we were received, that we had been cleansed and forgiven. The weeping, the mourning turned into joy. In Zechariah, let's go there real quick. Let's go to Zechariah 12. In Zechariah 12, 10. It says, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. On that day, the weeping in Jerusalem will be great. We see in Nehemiah 8 that the people are weeping and there is a great weeping and the people are mourning 
over what they are hearing as the law is being read. But what happens to them while they are mourning? They are told, do not mourn, rejoice. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. There is a mourning that has to happen because it is a part of the process. But then that mourning is replaced with joy. What we did this morning, it would have been very easy for us to remain in that broken state for a few songs, for 20, 30 minutes. And we could have remained crying over our sin. And, and, and it's important to weep over our sin and to mourn over our sin. But it is equally, if not more important, to let the mourning be done. And to put off mourning and weeping and now move forward in the joy of the Lord. This is so important in our faithfulness back to God. So he is faithful to us. The way that we demonstrate faithfulness back to him is not to allow our sin and the things that have separated us to continue to separate us or for us to remain in that broken, mournful, sad, weeping state, but for us to confess, to mourn over our sin, and then to move forward in power and joy, to be strengthened by the joy of the Lord. That's the way that we demonstrate faithfulness back to him. Do you see that? So even if we should fall, this is Psalm 37, even if we should fall, he won't allow us to stumble because if our ways are delightful to the Lord, he will uh, establish our steps. And so even if you fall, there's forgiveness. We get back up and let the joy of the Lord be our strength. And that's how we live faithfully before God. Look at Romans 11. We're reading about the day that Zechariah was talking about in Romans 11, 26. It says, and so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Once again, when we look back at Nehemiah 8, while that was a very real thing that was happening in 444 B.C., where the people were literally mourning and weeping over the laws that was being read to them, where it had been 92 years since the decree came forth from Cyrus to rebuild that city, what was happening there was also a foreshadowing of the day when the one who helps would return and be seen by all, and the words would be read, and they would look and mourn and weep, but then their mourning would turn to joy. Why? Because they will be comforted as their sins are taken away by the one who will come from Zion and all Israel will be saved. So we see what we're reading in Nehemiah 8 is also a foreshadowing. So while the joy of the Lord is our strength and that's the way that we are supposed to live, we see in a very practical way the way that played out for the children of Israel was that they mourned over their sin, but then they were rejoicing because they applied the word of God to their lives and saw that the instruction was move forward, celebrate, rejoice, don't weep anymore. As they applied the word to their lives, they were filled with the joy of the Lord and that strengthened them. Amen.
Bring up Deuteronomy 7, 9. This is another verse they would have heard. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. The people are being stirred by the faithfulness of God, and faithfulness wells up in them. I love that one of the things that made this day so special is that the teachers finally taught the word of God in a way that the people could understand it. Do you see that? Because what actually brings the freedom for people is not when we bring you in and put on an amazing show, but when we teach the word of God in a way that could be understood because it's the word of God and the knowledge of the truth that sets people free. If we brought you in and, and we had a few phrases that we said that really perked up your ears and the whole place was just the best it could possibly be and everything was dynamo, but we weren't teaching you the word of God and we weren't helping you understand the truth that sets you free, then all we would have been doing is scratching your itching ears. What makes this day so special is that the teachers are teaching the word of God in a way that could be understood to a people who have elevated it and are paying attention to it. Holy, 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 the joy of the Lord becomes our strength. Let's go back to Nehemiah. To celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. That's in verse 12. Israel, right now, we got back, it was a few weeks ago, now. But so many people there, they know the prophecies. They know the Torah. They know the word. But there's still a veil that blocks many of them from being able to see how Yeshua was the fulfillment of it. I want to show you a picture of that, Luke 24. Let's go there. We see Jesus. Sorry, I told you I'll turn to Nehemiah. Just go back to Luke 14 or Luke 24, 44. And watch what Jesus does with his disciples. So listen to how Jesus speaks to his disciples. This is after he's risen from the dead. In verse 44, it says, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. So we see that Jesus was able to open the minds of the disciples so that they could understand the scriptures. In the same way, what we're reading about in Nehemiah 8 is that the people were finally able to understand the words that they had been entrusted with. Once again, this is another foreshadowing of the way Israel will be saved. When they see the Lord returning on the clouds, they will understand the words that had been given to them because the Lord will open their minds to be able to understand. And salvation will come to all of Israel. Not just physically, but also spiritually.
So in Nehemiah 8, in verse 13, it says, On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back, bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms and shade trees to make booths as it is written. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? The only time this is used in the entire Tanakh, the entire Older Testament, the word wild olives, wild olive trees. This is the only time that it's ever used. And what is it referencing? The Feast of Tabernacles. So we have the olive tree and the wild olive tree being gathered in together to build a house for the people to live in. Come on, somebody. We have the olive tree and the wild olive tree being gathered here together. And the Feast of Tabernacles is the occasion. They're being gathered together to build a house for the people to dwell in. This is the only time that it's used in the Older Testament. He sent them out and said, go out and gather. And then bring them in and build. Do you see? Let's go back to Romans 11. Paul references a relationship between a wild olive tree and a cultivated olive tree. And he says, starting in 17, if some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. Why were the branches broken off? Because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. How do we stand? By faith. Do not be arrogant, which is what many have become, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Too often we simply don't want to hear that, and so we ignore it. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness or remain in him. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist, or, and if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? We see a reference again where the two will become one. Somehow a wild olive tree gets to be included in the same conversation as the cultivated olive tree. What we're reading in Nehemiah 8 is also a picture of the coming together of believers in Israel and also Gentile believers. We're seeing a coming together, a foreshadowing of a coming together, of a gathering that happens and a bringing in and then a building for the house of the Lord. Do we see that? 
the Feast of Tabernacles, so important. Let's go back to Nehemiah 8 and finish it. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs in their courtyards in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. We won't go down the rabbit trails of that, but I just want you to know that they exist. Somehow that satisfies my hunger a little bit. The whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. Did you hear that? The whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. Your version may say that the captives returned. The captives who were in exile came back and built booths. Here's a little secret. The booth that they built built was less comfortable than their actual home. They purposefully built what the Lord told them to build, even though... It was easier and more comfortable to live in their permanent home. But they did this to show a message. The captives, remember, they were in captivity and they were delivered, chose to live in booths. This is a picture back to their time in Egypt. They were captives in Egypt and they were slaves. But then when they were delivered, they lived in booths in the wilderness as they were wandering about for 40 years. But the first time they were able to legitimately celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles was when they went into the promised land. The land that God had promised to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So listen to this. The first time that Israel is able to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles is when they come into the promised land. And listen to what he says next. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. That was like 700 years before this, that they came into the promised land and were able to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. He's saying in 700 years, it was not this great. The last time it was this great was when they crossed into the promised land after having been in captivity. What changed? What changed is that the people had cultivated faithfulness. They had gone into captivity in Babylon. They had been in exile. They knew what it was like to be stripped of all their culture, their food, their clothes, their family, the temple, their houses, the city, stripped of all of it. Remember when we talked about post-traumatic stress and disorder? They had lived through that. They knew what it was like to receive the consequences from disobeying the law of the Lord, the instructions of the Lord. And now faithfulness was stirred up in them to be faithful. And they were experiencing a joy like they hadn't felt in hundreds of years. Do you want joy in your life? We pay attention to the word of God. We elevate the word of God. Do you see that? We are strengthened in the joy of the Lord. First through intimacy, but remaining, persevering and obeying through trials. And then joy springs up. Because as they look around them, as the law is being read and they're hearing all these verses being read to them and they're looking and they're seeing the city of God being built. They're, they're thinking about the Lord's deliverance from Babylon. 
and the way that Nehemiah and Ezra and so many other leaders have stepped up, the way that miracles have been done through kings saying, yeah, I'll pay for your city to be built. And they're thinking through all these things and they're looking around and they're seeing the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of the people to finish what they started. God is faithful. We must respond with faithfulness. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the feast for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. For seven days, they celebrated this feast. And on the eighth day, something special, something new, something that we don't even have all the full details about to this day, about what it was and what it was supposed to be. All we know is that something special was supposed to happen on the eighth day. Now, the people have developed their tradition since then, and there's a whole celebration and a list of what to do on the eighth day now. But when it was first given, it was a mystery as to what was supposed to be, what was supposed to happen on this eighth day. I want to tell you, we see in the plan of the Lord seven days to fulfill his plan and creation. On the eighth day, something new happens. The eighth day is a special day. We won't go into all of it, but suffice it to say, on the eighth day, new things begin. The eighth year, new things begin. And we see the number eight coinciding with the idea of new beginnings. For them, this day would have started over the, the cycle reading of the Torah. And they would have started anew on this eighth day and held a special assembly, a special celebration. Can I tell you this? After a thousand years, where we rule and reign with Christ on this earth, something special is going to happen. Something's going to change. And there are plans that God has for us that we can't fathom or imagine. Do you believe that? That God has plans for you that you can't fathom or imagine. The things he's got in store for his children who demonstrate faithfulness, who remain faithful, you can't even imagine what he's got planned for you. And that's the truth. These people were watching not just the faithfulness of God, but the fruit of their faithfulness spring up all around them. And that caused them to be filled with great joy. Do you want great joy? I want great joy. Man, I felt joyful this morning as we were worshiping the Lord. Let's look at two more verses. Numbers 23, 19. says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? We serve a God who is a God of his word. We must be a people of our word. We serve a God who is faithful. We must be faithful. What does this mean? Faithful to our wives or our husbands, faithful to our children, faithful to our families, faithful to our church, faithful to our jobs, faithful to our friends, faithful to our word. We must be a people where faithfulness springs up in every area of our lives. We can be trusted 
to do what we say we will do because we are a faithful people who serve a faithful God. We imitate our creator. We are faithful because he is faithful. But here's the good news. Even if we should be faithless, he remains faithful. Faithful God. Let us be a faithful people. In Luke 18, 8, we also read about this this morning, or, or saying about this this morning. You've been searching for, you've been yearning for hearts that are loyal to your own. In Luke 18, 8, the context of this. is the persistent widow. She's talking to a judge. And for some reason, there's a person who sits in a judge's seat who neither feared God nor cared about people. That is the opposite of our God. Our God cares about us, cares about our requests. But in this story, a widow comes to him and she says, grant me justice against my adversary. Finally, the judge gives in and gives her what she's been asking for. That story is meant to highlight that this is how a wicked judge is. A wicked judge can still be moved to give in to a persistent widow. Our God is not a wicked judge. Our God is a loving father. And he longs to be gracious to his children. He is faithful to his children. But that's not the question. The question that he ends this with is in verse 8. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, and this is the question, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Stand with me. Ask yourself a few questions. Am I faithful to the Lord? Do I move whatever, the, whatever way the wind blows? If I'm feeling uncomfortable, I move. If it costs me a little more than I expected, I stop or I break my word. Can people trust what you say? Are you dependable? Are you like God in faithfulness? If you see that you are lacking in faithfulness, today is the day to change that. And be a faithful person. Be faithful towards God. We can be a, a people who are described as faithful. Our prayer is that faithfulness would spring up from the earth in this place. That we would be a people who are faithful over the long term. Because as I look around and I see young men who are taking things seriously. And I see young women who are taking things seriously. You know who I'm hopeful for? My children. Because we're in it for the long haul. And if we will start establishing faithfulness now and we will live out faithfulness now, then the children that grow up in this culture will know faithfulness as a part of their lives. That has not been the case by and large. But we have the ability and the authority and the option to change that. We can be faithful here so that the generations that come behind us reap the fruit of our faithfulness. Do you want that? I want that. I want that in my life. I want to be so faithful that my kids eat the fruit of that tree or eating the fruit of the faithfulness that I demonstrated before the Lord and to my fellow man. So let's pray 
ask the Lord to help you cultivate faithfulness in whatever area, whether it's your marriage, your job, and your relationships to this church, to what he's called you to, but to cultivate faithfulness in your life right now. Mighty God, we just give you praise. Lord, let faithfulness spring up in our hearts and in this church. Jesus, we want to be bold for you. But Lord, it's got to come from a place of intimacy and perseverance. Jesus, we ask right now that we would not try and find another way, but we would submit to your way, that we would hold your word up, we would elevate your word, and let it be...